Hi everyone, and welcome to the Substantial Upgrades podcast. In this episode, we will talk about some of the um, events that happened last weekend, but also looking ahead at uh, uh, future events in those sports that we're going to cover. We're not going to focus on the typical sports we talk about in this section. I wanted to highlight um, some other sports, especially those Olympic sports that are now coming uh, close to crunch time in terms of qualification process and in terms of uh, what to expect for the actual Olympics. So um, we, um, we're going to look at rugby and the Six Nations. Um, we're going to talk about athletics, the short track speed skating, uh, MMA with UFC 259, which was um, one of the best cards of the past few years. And then we're also going to talk a bit about judo. So if you're not that interested in those sports that people define as minor and just want to go uh, on, the, on the topics of the day, which are basically just golf, follow the timestamp and uh, you, you can just listen to that part of the podcast where we're going to focus on the Qatar Masters and most importantly, the Players' Championship coming up this week. So... Last weekend, obviously, was an important uh, weekend for winter sports. However, since we, we, we covered uh, those quite um, uh, widely in previous episodes, I'm not going to focus much on it. Um, th- however, we did have the Short Track World Championship in Dordrecht, um, Netherlands. And those are like uh, basically the one of the two main competitions this year, the other being the European Championship. And it was also quite limited because not all countries could attend for obvious reasons linked to COVID. Asian countries were not present. Uh, therefore, we need to take the results with a grain of salt. However, I think that uh, Suzanne Schulting from Netherlands dominated all four races in the in the women's. She won 500, 1,100 and meters and also the relay. And Netherlands did want the um, they made the table, of course, also winning the relay in the men's field. And the other uh, dominators on the men's side were the Liu brothers. The Liu brothers are um, sons of uh, an Hungarian father and a Chinese mother. And they are, um, they are trained, uh, you know, with uh, Chinese coaching, which makes them so good. And they won five medals and three gold between themselves. And it's difficult to say whether they're going to be also that good next year at the Olympics because, as I said, the men's field especially, it's difficult to evaluate without seeing the, the Americans and the Asian countries competing, especially the Koreans. But um, at the same time, we had like uh, Canada competing here and uh, Amblin was just able to win one of the three uh, men's race. So still a good result for them. And also, also in Canada and Italy did have good results overall. So the, the, the four countries coming up uh, well, coming out well of this World Championship were Netherlands, Hungary, Canada and Italy, really. Next weekend could prove decisive in the Rugby Six Nations. It's not something I like to cover betting-wise because there are not many good opportunities. Uh, it's only a few games. It's difficult to uh, have them in a parlay. And anyway, um, most of the time, the favorite wins, <laughs> maybe not in the Six Nations, but in rugby in general. And therefore, uh, it's not something I cover usually, but I thought that uh, maybe 
Recap for now the Six Nation is going this year. So Wales already won the Triple Crown. They not only beat both Scotland and Ireland, but then they won by a wide margin against England. And England is the latest winner. They won then Six Nations in October. They delayed um, uh, Six Nation of 2020. This year we came back to the traditional format in February, March. However, Scotland France was postponed. And the match might prove decisive if we ever get to be played because if France beat Wales in the last match day, then if they beat Scotland, they win the Six Nations. Uh, at the same time, though, if this weekend England beat France, which is something that I think can happen, then Wales would have won it. I mean, technically they need to beat Italy, but that kind of go without saying nowadays. I think that um, Italy's trajectory in this sport is not very good and they struggle every year and every year it seems like uh, they're getting far away from actually competing in games for as i said this weekend is going to be uh, quite uh, interesting to follow and uh, the six nations is the crunch time another news related to rugby is that the women's world cup has been officially postponed to 2022 it was supposed to be held in new zealand in 2021 but it's been pushed back in 2022 something that people were expecting at this point. However, rugby is still going to go ahead at the Olympics with, uh, in the version of Rugby Sevens, which is uh, quite different, um, quite a different sport, and uh, we'll talk about it when we get closer to the Olympics. Another event that took place over the weekend is the European Championships of Athletics indoors. I usually don't look much at results of indoors because like some of the Events and races are different than the one you do outdoors. And also some athletes don't like to compete indoors so they don't even show up at those events. However, since last season was shorter, shortened by COVID and we didn't have many indication, I thought that um, uh, looking at them this year would prove uh, interesting. And the, the medal table was stopped by two countries that you wouldn't expect to be at the top. and They were Netherlands and Portugal. Netherlands, they won two relays um, and other uh, events in sprints. And Portugal actually swept the triple jump events, winning both the men and the women uh, event. And they also win this, the women's shot put, which I found quite uh, surprising. They don't have tradition in those kind of field events. And then um, in terms of uh, actual meaningful contest that we, we saw, men's pole vault had Armand Duplantis. He won with 6.05, which for him is, is, is not that great. He actually attempted the new world record at 6.19. This is one of the main stars for athletics. It's not the main star at the upcoming Olympics. He's the world record holder at 6.15 outdoors and 6.17 indoors. And it's certainly um, something that is going to shine in Tokyo. And uh, it's going to be the the cover men for athletics, most likely. Then another interesting competition in the men's was the high jump, where we had the Belarusian, Belarusian uh, Neda Sekao and the Italian Tamberi competing at very high level. Uh, Neda Sekao won with 2.37 and Tamberi posted a 2.35. They both are the two best results of the year. And those two guys, together with the, the Qatari Barshim, are probably the main favorites for Tokyo. I think that 237 could actually win you a gold medal in Tokyo this year. Uh, the women's uh, long jump, 
was also uh, a quite close contest. It was won by the Ukrainian Romanchuk with a jump at 6.92. However, Mihambo, that came into second, uh, has like a 7.20, even uh, longer jumps in their arsenal. And I feel like he's still the favorite for Tokyo, but it will be, we need to fo like follow how the world lead progression is this year. Um, and see whether the results that she posted uh, the past seasons are going to be confirmed. And also here we had uh, uh, Larissa Iacchipino, the very young Italian that has the world record uh, for juniors, which uh, disappointed in, uh, in, in this event, but she still has the best, uh, the world lead this year in 2021 outdoor with a 691. The other interesting competition was this women's eye jump. And here we had Yaroslova, Yaroslova Mauchik from Ukraine. Uh, she won at two meters, but uh, tried the indoor world record at 207 because this year she jumped the 206 and it's just two centimeters away from Kaiser Breakfast world record of 2.08. And I expect her to be the women star of the Olympics. So we might get like world record attempts at the Olympics, which is uh, very seldom the case. But the thing that Duplantis and uh, Maochik are so far ahead of the field, that that could happen because they might win the, the, the event already with the low measures and then they can try. Um, other when, at an event of the weekend was UFC 2059. Uh, it was one of the best cards we've seen recently. Uh, there were two, uh, three championship fights and then other very good uh, fights. The main event, Adesanya um, tried to get another championship at light heavyweight, so he went up in category, but it didn't. It, it looked like it did look like out of um, out of context in that uh, weight category. Uh, honestly, he, he didn't game plan for a heavier opponent. Therefore, once uh, Blachowicz, the uh, uh, incoming champion, figured it out. The, man, the fight was over, basically. He won by a comfortable decision, in my eyes. Um, once he, he figured out that he could just uh, take him down and basically keep pinning him down to the, to the ground without doing much else, just with size alone and good wrestling, it was over for Adesanya. So maybe uh, it was not such a good decision to, to climb one category. Nunez, in the co-main event, she keep winning against everyone. She's on an entire other level. She won like in two minutes. Uh, she basically picked up uh, the way that she wanted to win with an arm bar. And I feel like she can compete in any of the women's weight category. And it's actually problematic for the UFC because first of all, they don't find anyone that can compete against her. And also at featherweight, which is the title that she won again uh, this weekend, there are very few uh, women in the UFC. Meg Megan Anderson, the, the the opponent that she submitted this weekend, was cut, and that leaves very few fighters in the division at featherweight. So UFC might actually just delete the division, uh, this division. Uh, however, Nunez would probably have another challenger at uh, bantamweight. Mm, they're talking about uh, Juliana Pena. I mean, she's a good fighter, but uh, Nunez looks untouchable and she's already the greatest uh, women fighter of all time. You could argue that she's 
one of the greatest um, fighters of all time period. We are in uh, Serena Williams kind of levels here. Um, then the other, f the, the third main fight, the championship, um, was the most interesting one. It was between uh, Ahim Sterling and Piotr Jan. And he had a shocking finish because Jan was disqualified for a completely legal eight. And uh, obviously there was controversy afterwards because Sterling this way won a championship by disqualification. So people are hoping for a rematch soon. I'm not sure that's going to happen because there are other contenders like uh, Sandgren, but also Dillshaw um, in that division. However, Sterling was probably losing the fight at the point. He looked gassed after two or three rounds where he tried repeatedly to take down Jan, but Jan take down defense was on top notch. Uh, you could tell that he, he trained uh, on in this um, fundamental a lot because it's clearly it was the key for him. If he could defend the takedown from Sterling, then he would win. And uh, Jan looks like a very tough guy to beat. It's not spectacular, but he has power and like he can grind out victories against everyone. So hopefully we see a rematch there. And then finally, I want to talk a bit about judo. Uh, judo had the third main event of the season uh, this weekend with the judo grass slam in Tashknet, Uzbekistan. There have already been two events, the Masters in Qatar in uh, January and the Tel Aviv Grand Slam in uh, February. Now, in those two events, France won the medal table, uh, the, the, but Japan was not participating in Tel Aviv while it was present in, in, um, in Qatar. Uh, the Masters are probably more significant as results because the Masters only include participants that are highly rated, so the best of the bunch, whereas in the Grand Slam, uh, the field can change uh, a lot from event to event, uh, from category to category. Uh, however, what's significant about what happened in Tashinet is that Japan won nine medals out of the 14 possible, and obviously it's a sport that was uh, invented or funded in Japan as a combat sport, and obviously they, 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 it's the home Olympics for them, so I won't be surprised if they get very good results there. Uh, probably this level of domination won't happen, because France was not uh, present in Tashnet, but those two countries are the two typical traditional powerhouses power uh, together with Korea, and they looked primed to, to be very good in Tokyo as well. Especially in the, in the women's field, there's a lot of uh, French women at the top of their category, and they, look, they looked very impressive in Qatar. Um, other countries that seem to be on a good path are also traditional countries in judo. There are Italy, Serbia, Croatia, and all the Central Asian countries like Mongolia, but also Georgia. And Mongolia actually won two gold medals in Tashnekt. It's very it's going to be very difficult to um, pick winners and podium positions for the Olympics in judo because those events are made around the globe not all judo federations, national federation, can afford sending their athletes across the globe every time. So they need to pick a few events throughout the season. And with COVID, this is even worse, right? So uh, it, it, it's difficult to see head-to-head -head among the best competition. Uh, so that's going to be quite challenging to predict what's going to happen in the Olympics. 
it is in general in judo because as every combat sport is a one-day tourney where if you're on fire even if you're not among the best you can make it to the final you can make it to the podium position and judo even more so because it's not like um, taekwondo or karate where you know it's a point system where you can uh, recover if you uh, get a hit or um, fall behind in the in the scoring here if you it takes like literally five seconds of distraction and you get the nippon from your opponent and you're done the olympic is over or whatever tournament you're doing is over so um it's it's gonna be one of the most uh, exciting sports as always at the olympics and indeed um, i think uh, that uh, this month I will start a series of special episodes talking about uh, sport, Olympic sports to set up the table for July when hopefully the Olympics go ahead as planned finally. So that's it for the long uh, roundup uh, recap um, this week and now we can focus on the main topics of the day. This week on the PGA Tour it's the Players' Championship. It's the richest tournament on tour. It's something many players consider something to add to the resume. And it's basically what is end up being the fifth major of the season. But in chronological order, it's kind of a, the first of the big five tournaments of the season. So high stakes and a very deep field of good golfers from around the world this week. It's played on, as always, on TP, TPC Sawgrass, which is a very peculiar golf course. It's a part 72, but it's shorter than most uh, part 72 on tour. However, it is a typical design by Peter Dye, which makes uh, professional golfers second-guess themselves on every, on every shot. And indeed, the emphasis here is on all three shots, quite literally. And... After the event was moved from May to March, and first time that it was held in March was in 2019, they had to make changes to the greens, which are not just Bermuda greens anymore, but they are Bermuda greens overseeded with bent grass, basically, which makes putting easier. Therefore, starting from 2019, this has become more like a first and second shot when putting is a bit easier. And therefore, like what I look at is strokes gain tick to green, like the most crucial statistics here. However, it's pretty clear that you, you need to have um, an all-around great game, great form, and high for Peter Dye design to excel here. Um, so I, my research focused around strokes gain tick to green, and in particular strokes gain tick to green on, uh, on, on this course, in years prior to 2019 to see whether by removing the putting component from the equation whether we see um, some a pattern of good players being consistent in the first and second shot here uh, to add a bit more color to the course history in the analysis um, and indeed course history for me I mean at times uh, you hear people saying course history here is key and um, we don't want to back people that are debuting here or they have few experience. Um, and usually I don't like that argument. But here is probably the only golf course where I agree with it. I think it's uh, one of the most important factors to consider. And not just placements, really. 
but also how many missed cuts play ahead in the past year and how they progressed throughout their career. Uh, you see many players that start by missing the cut, then they start making the cut here, and then they keep improving. Uh, and that's like what you want to see ideally for a player that hasn't won here yet, but is an improving trend. And very few golfers tend to be consistent here. That's why I say like look for missed cuts because it's very uh, common to see players doing very well one year and then getting cut the next year. And regardless of the shape and the form, they come into the tournament. It's just the way this, this course plays out. So it's very difficult to find course specialists. I think maybe two that I can mention here are Matsuyama and Sergio Garcia. But Matsuyama has never won here, really. So it's just very consistent. So other comps uh, for um, other die designs, which are similar to this one, are surely the PGA West, where the Amex tournament has been playing uh, post-2016. Then Arbor Town, where is, which is where the RBC Heritage is played. And then TPC River Islands, which is where the Travelers Championship is played. So those are the three comps I look at. But um, course history on this course is the most important when looking at the track record. Then um, also Florida form is somewhat important here. However, Bermuda Green history is now less important as I said because now it's overseeded with Bancras so even players that usually struggle on Bermuda Greens can do well now here and indeed Matsuyama is a specialist of this kind of putting surfaces yes two career wins on this kind of putting surfaces and as I said a very good history here and in terms of traditional statistics it's very difficult to spot the one surely driving is not that important here at all neither accuracy nor distance Maybe scrambling is a bit uh, um, something they sh we should look at, but I don't think it's that relevant, really. So, as I said, this is the deepest field of the year because the prize is very rich. And the winners here are typically proven players with a complete game. They tend to be aggressive players, but they also tend to be bogey avoiders. And those two things don't match up very well. So what I'm trying to say is that you need to look for game manager, like a a golfer that he used to manage is uh, kind of patient, waits for his waits for his opportunities, and like when you put it like that, two players that come instantly in my mind are Webb Simpson and Tommy Fleetwood, and probably also Dustin Johnson of late has been that kind of player. So the betting market is very granular, so it's difficult to define what is the top market. But let's say that the odds below twenty means we're looking at the top market which means that basically right now in the top market we had Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, and Colin Morikawa. Of those, for me by far, Rory is my favorite option, and the only one worth a single bet investment is listed as 17 on most websites. Um, I'm generally adverse to repeat winners. He, is, he was the winner last uh, time here in 2019, but first of all, it's been two years between now and then because this is a tournament that got interrupted at the start of the COVID pandemic last season. They just had one round and then everybody was sent home. So it wouldn't be a real repeat winner. And also I think Rory is due a win. I think it's his play is improving steadily and uh, we, are, we are there. It's coming. Rory has also had like other four top, tw top 12 wins here. 
and he has plenty of experience on this course. Um, and all, and actually, you know, he won 19, 2019, and it's the only history that we have with overseeded greens. So it's kind of more statistically more relevant if you want. Then in terms of mid-range options, I like uh, definitely Cantle. He doesn't have great results here in three appearances, but he was top five in Strauss gain T2 green here in 2018, when greens were still full Bermuda. Uh, and he also has a good Florida form. Um, and very good history on designs by Pete Dye. He has a ninth finish and a second finish on PGA West, the second finish this year. He has um, two third place finishes at Arbor Town and also three top 15 finishes at Travels Championship. So it's very rare to find a profile that fits a designer so well that Cantley seems to fit Dye designs. Uh, he's fifth for bogey avoidance on tour, but most importantly, he's first for strokes gain T to green and strokes gain total in current form among the field. So he does the full package this week and he's listed at 20 on most sites. Then another option in the same range, 2025 odds, is Webb Simpson. As I say, it's a very like game manager, regular kind of golfer. He won here already in 2019. This was sandwiched between two 16-place uh, finish in 2017 and 19. But he also won at Arbor Town in 2020 after finishing fifth in 2019. And he was first for bogey avoidance in 2020 and third in the current season. And in terms of stroke gains three to green in current form, it's seventh in the field. So another good option. And then in mid-range, I do like Fleetwood, as I said, a similar profile to Simpson, albeit maybe less with fewer victories on PGA Tour. And it's actually, this could be his breakout PGA win. He was seventh and fifth here, the last two timeouts. So it's definitely as the complete game fitting, this kind of course. He has excellent Florida track record. And he was, um, and he's 11th in strokes against Tito Green recent form. Uh, despite not being in his best form of his life, but definitely the last two appearances he had showed that he is improving a lot. So he's not a candidate for a, for a win. I think at forty five odds is, uh, is uh, those are great odds. Uh, longer shots, Adam Scott. Adam Scott, well, his best result here is a sixth place. He's a consistent consistent in the top twenty uh, at, at Players Championship. Um, and I also, I often say this about Adam Scott, he's a guy that looks for big tournaments. Uh, you need to kind of question his commitments and motivation on less important uh, tournaments, but not here. Uh, it's something that he wants to add to his collection. So you can get him for 70 odds. I think it's a good investment. And then Abraham Anser, similar odds, 70. Uh, he has a very good uh, pit tie design uh, track record. He was second and fifth at PGA West, second in Arbor Town, and 11 and eighth Travelers. Uh, so basically, all his best results on tour so far have come on die designs, and he's eighth for strokes gained T2 green at the Players Championship in 2019. He hasn't shown a very good form in the past few weeks, and that's why you can get him at higher odds, but as I said, he tends to excel on die designs, so maybe he's coming back to form this week. And then two terrific each-way options I spotted are Polter at 140. Polter had two runner-up finishes here. 
and it's always a threat on this kind of complex to read golf courses. Um, and he has top two, top ten finishes at Arbortown in terms of fit with the die designs. And he was third at the Players' Championship in 2017 for strokes gained T2 green. So if you remove the Bermuda green component, which is not one of the Walter's strongest suit, he can compete here, and I think he will this week. And then also Russell Knox at 230, each way option makes a lot of sense. The top 12 on tour for bogey avoidance both this season and the past season, so it's not like a, a statistical quirk. And he was second in Arbor Town in 16. 11th in 17, and he actually won the Travelers Championship in 2016 in terms of die designs. So I guess it's someone that is going to be overlooked, but uh, is a good option in the betting market. Then uh, let's focus on fantasy. Now, fantasy-wise, the top of the market is the same as the betting market, obviously, and to me, Rory is the best value. I do believe Dustin Johnson, despite the big price, school is in play here as an anchor play. He never missed the cut here. He was fifth in 2019 and won Travelers last year in 2020. So uh, it's a guy that it's difficult to fade and I won't be fading him even at this price. Um, John Ram is also not too shabby as an option. He improves here every time out. If you look at his track record here and he has very good form at the um, PGA West, which is a die design. He's struggling with these new clubs, but you want to jump on it before I mean before he starts doing well with these new clubs. So Ram could be a contrarian play if you wish here. Uh 9,000 range for me is Cantley and Simpson, as I said. Uh, maybe also Tony Finau is playing excellent golf. It's not a guy that I would ever recommend in betting markets because he tends to choke every time he's competing. But I think a top 5 or top 10 finish is definitely in the cards here. Uh, then at 8,000 range, I like the uh, three Australians, Scott and Day. They're always a risk uh, for the same reasons in fantasy. Uh, Scott is motivation. If he's not competing uh, by Saturday evening, he's going to probably mill it in and kind of destroy your lineup. And Jason Day, the problem is always injuries with him. Uh, you're always concerned that he's going to withdraw or he's going to perform badly. But obviously, uh, Day is a winner here in 2016, which was his best year on tour. And uh, is an option that if you like uh, taking a risk at 8,000, it's definitely worth it probably. And then it's difficult to ignore uh, Matsuyama course history here. Uh, his current form is not that uh, good. And recently, he has shown that he cannot like have like four good rounds in a row, so it's difficult to trust him, but it's also very difficult to ignore how much he fits here. And he shoot at 63 rounds last year when the tournament was interrupted. He shot minus nine, which equaled the, the lowest round recorded on this golf course. So again, very difficult to ignore. And then uh, also Casey and Speed definitely have upside in this range. Those are not golfers usually find in the 8,000 range. It's a byproduct of the quality of this field, and they're worth a shot. The 7,000 range for me is Fleetwood and Answer, as already discussed, and then also Molinari. Molinari is a bit volatile here because he has four top 10 finishes, but also a lot of missed cuts. As I said, this is very typical of this golf course. Uh, and he was 8th at PJ West this year. 
and his performance is tracking the uh, the good way recently. So a volatile but a good option. And then Polter, as I said, and also Sergio Sergio Garcia is difficult uh, to ignore in cash gains. He never missed a cut here, so don't expect like a top ten finish necessarily. But it's a good anchor play. Uh, cheap option, as I said, Russell Knox is my guy this week. The Arman also has good history on die designs. Same can be said for Adwin and Bradley as well. And Bradley on top of that has good form of late. And the scrubs, I would avoid scrubs here. I would go for like Rory and DJ and then some uh, guys in the 8,000 range, 7,000 range. But uh, if you need scrubs, I will, my favorite option is Michael Thompson due to decent recent form, but also nice uh, die course history, die design history. And also guys like Glover, Stanley, for similar reasons. Pablo, a bit you know less convincing than what I've seen in Michael Thompson uh, history. And then a, a very long shot is Straka. He's a very aggressive player and he can pay off here. If you're looking for a scrub with huge upside, that, that's him. So, and that's it for the uh, Players' Championship. Let's then move on to the European Tour. The European Tour is back after a five-week break. There, it's This tournament in Qatar, the Qatar Masters, is happening at the same time as the Players' Championship. Therefore, we are left with a, p- a field of players which is less deep than in uh, recent circumstances in the Middle East. Um, however, that, I guess... Um, makes things much more compelling from a betting perspective. Um, this course that the players are going to play on is uh, the same of last year, but last year was the first time that the Qatar Masters first played on this course. Therefore, when you look at course history in Qatar, you need to keep in mind that basically the course is not the same used in, that it was used in most of the uh, previous editions. Uh, while not being a, a perfect comp, is still fairly similar. Well, this golf course is less resort type, but it's also less exposed to the wind because it's not on the coast like the previous one they were using in Qatar. Uh, however, the wind is always in play in the Middle East, so I don't think that changes uh, much what we're going to look for um, in terms of uh, comparables. And indeed, I think that here we need to look at... Um, uh, players that are are very good uh, uh, track history on the on desert courses, and that they do well on windy conditions. Now, most of the difference here seems to be made on the Paspalum greens. First and second shot take a, a back seat here in Qatar historically. Uh, therefore, Paspalum history and strokes gained putting are the key statistics I'm going to look at. However, the windy conditions and the presence of bunkers and uh, obstacles typical of desert courses also means that um, players need to be good around the green when they need to make up for errant shots or when they end up in the bunker. Therefore, I also look at the scrambling and the strokes gained around the green, uh, which can be important also um, on par 4, which probably is the key score, uh, scoring here. Um, I think par 4 is going to be more critical than par 3 and par 5 scoring, which is not often the case. But when it's the case, I, I like to look at uh, stroke gains around the green because it gives you an idea on uh, uh, players being able to create birdie opportunities out of nowhere, but also 
players that can put themselves in the position to save pot more constantly. Um, now, as comps, I'm going to look at Paspalum grass, and Paspalum grass is uh, overly present in the in the in the same geographical region. So we're going to look at Saudi, International, Oman Open, and Mauritius. Those are the three main comps I use. I also had a look at the Cyprus events at the end of last year because it's a similar course exposed to windy condition with a similar agronomy and it's more recent than Mauritius and Oman. Uh, and then I'm also going to look at desert uh, form and in this case we do have Abu Dhabi and Dubai which is also uh, something that players have seen very recently. Now the top of the market uh, is not really a top of the market because uh, the all the players are listed at very high odds, but let's take all the players below 30. For me, the pick here is uh, George Ketze. He was 7th here last year. He was 10th at the Saudi um, International a few weeks ago. He was also 6th in Oman in 2020 and 9th in Mauritius in 2019. So he does well on Paspalu. In terms of desert form, he has two top 7 finishes in Dubai and three sum up dated top 10 finishes at Abu Dhabi, but he was also 11th here a few weeks ago in a deep field. And he's also top 20 in stroke gain putting this season and top 20 for one putt percentages, which is also something I, I looked at in my research. Mid-range options, I love Kitayama this week. He listed at 30. He has a 12th finish at Saudi a few weeks ago. He was first in Oman in 2019 and first at Mauritius in 2019. And he's also a top six finish at Dubai. And he's second for strokes gained around the green on PGA Tour in 2021, but the first one is Morikawa, which we know is the magician in that category and is not a regular. So we could say he's been the best on, among the regulars on the European tours. Then Craig Paisley, another excellent option, listed the 60 odds. Um, he was seventh here last year. He was ninth at Oman in 2019 and has a top five Dubai finish and two top 10 Abu Dhabi finish. From a statistical um, point of view, he's one of the best fit on the field for this course because he has six in strokes gained putting in 2001 and first for percentage of one putts made in 2021. But he also top 20 for strokes gained around the green in 2021 and third for scrambling in 2020. So it kind of fits the profile of all the stats and research. And then we have Warren, Mark Warren, listed at 70 odds. He's possibly the best putter in terms of recent form on the European Tour right now. He was second year in 2015, but otherwise he, he, he doesn't have very good history here. Uh, he finally broke through in the Middle East um, with his fifth position in Abu Dhabi very recently. And his first strokes came putting and first for one putts in this season, which uh, kind of you know, backs up my assertion that uh, is the hottest putter right now on the European Tour. Uh, then we have Bjork, the Swedish guy. He is also listed at 70, very similar reason to Warren. He was six years last year, so good uh, course history. And he's also another great putter. He was 10th for strokes gained putting in 2020, and he's rounding up into form of late. Then the long shots I like at the Jager, the South African golfer. This is the 125. He has two fourth place finish at Mauritius. He's a good scrambler and can become a birdie machine if the golf course is plays easy, let's say. 
It's a guy that like on golf courses that play easy in a field that is not that loaded with talent. Um, I like his odds. And then Grant Forrest, 160. He was 10th in Oman in 2020. He collected a 7th and a 4th finish at Mauritius in the last two years. And his 4th for strokes gained putting in 2021. So again, as you see, my recommendation is mostly focused on putting because that's the key this week. Fantasy-wise, very interesting this week. So I don't like the top options much, but uh, definitely Peters, D3 and Rosner are all decent options. Among those three, D3 is my favorite uh, because of history here. It's decent, plays well on Paspalu, had a good showing in, in Cyprus at the end of last season, whereas Rosner and Peters have very similar profiles, but, I mean, Daytree seems to be in better form overall. In the 9,000 range, I like Kutze and Kitayama, as I said, but also Rasmus Hoygaard is a good uh, option. He's starting to catch fire again after a break, and he's excellent past Palum results. His first career win was in Mauritius in 2020, and he also had two top six, one top six each at Mauritius again and in Saudi. So clearly loves the agronomy. And um, at 8,000 range, there are not many good options here. I would fade this entirely, this range, and focus on 7,000. However, Matthew Jordan and Joost Luiten do have upside in this category. And then 7,000 range, my favorite range this week for the European Tour. Lots of like to hear, lots of value options here. In so much, they're really... I'm very happy this week to leave budget on the on the table and focus on these guys because I do believe that that's the good strategy here. There's not much difference between the top of the market and 7,000 range. So, well, like uh, Paisley, of course, as at Bjork, Warren, but also a guy like Larry Zabal. Larry Zabal is second in the field for strokes gained around the green after Kitayama. Uh, Paratore, Binter, Kawamura, Armitage... Those are all players with a hot putt that suffer some longer courses but can do well in windy desert conditions. And I like all of them almost at the same level. Uh, other cheap options below 7,000, Forrest and the Jagger, as I said before, but also Kinolt, Marcus Kinolt. I feel like he's been mispriced here. He should be at least 1,000 more expensive than he is. And Lagergren to close our Swedish circle of love. And then for Scrubs, Pavon is, has very good Paspalo mystery, bad form of late, that's why his price is so low. Fernandez Castaño is first for strokes gained around the green in 2020 and is very lowly priced. And the two guys that don't catch my eye statistically or um, form-wise, but I think they're underpriced, are Stelter and Chesters. And those are uh, the other two Scrub players I would recommend here. You can build a lot of original and different lineups this week on the European Tour. I think that the winning lineup is going to be very surprising. And therefore, yeah, my, my suggestion is focus on those 7,000 range guys and maybe pick one between Rosner, uh, uh, Peter, and, and the three, the one you like the most, and the one you like the most between Kutz and Kitayama and Oigard. And I think you're going to be good, at least in cash, if, uh, in cash, contest then we know that in tournament play luck comes into play a lot obviously so that's it for me uh, i hope you enjoyed the episode 
we'll try to have another episode this week if possible. Otherwise, we're going to focus on Sunday. I'm going to record as soon as the bracket comes out for March Madness. I'm going to record a special episode and I'll try to publish it on Monday already because there's not much time between Selection Sunday and Tuesday when the first uh, first round games are played. So you'll hear it from me soon and often, unfortunately for you. See ya!